News. We hope you have a wonderful week. Well, if you're joining us uh, for the first time and uh, joining us this morning, I want to give you a warm welcome and uh, thank you. There are little cards uh, that we'd love you to fill in if you want to stay connected or you would like to get involved or join a group or doing little uh, cards that are available for that. We are planning also a baptism service coming up um, uh, the first, second week in September. So if you want to be baptized, we would love to facilitate that. The work of the church carries on and we want to keep carrying on with the work of the church and keep pushing and keep moving forward. So honestly, I mean, many of us uh, know that we're, we're living you know, wildfires, the pressures that we're, we're facing, the ongoing um, uh, statistics and numbers with uh, the virus. We are living in those times that we'll look back and remember uh, these days. And when we look back and remember these days, we'll remember how we walked with the Lord and responded to the Lord through this uh, process. Um, we've been on a journey speaking about the fruit of the Spirit powered up and talking about the power of Christian character within our lives. And let's be honest, at this time, uh, we've probably seen the best of Christian character and a little bit of the worst. You know what I'm saying? I think you do. And, and people have uh, showed themselves in so many wonderful ways in the which that they have expressed their generosity, their love and their devotion for the community, which has been remarkable. And of course, the fruit of the Spirit deals with character aspects that, that really change your life. And it's in the basket of love. Because when you have love, you have joy. Do you know that? When you've got peace, uh, when you have love, you have peace. When you have love, you have faithfulness. When you have love, you have self-control. And this is part of us experiencing the love of God that dwells within our lives. And we've been working and thinking a lot about character. And I was studying this last week and I was thinking about the work of character within our lives. And, and there are promises that go with us when we develop a godly character in our lives. You see, you might want to say, well, that's just the way I am. I'm grumpy. Or you might want to say, that's my character and don't mess. That's my personality. No, that isn't always just your character and your personality. That is your sinful nature. And sometimes we think, well, I'll be a better Christian if I get more and more knowledge. Well, knowledge is awesome and I love knowledge and I'm on to my second master's. But knowledge is awesome and it is wonderful and glorious. But it's not just about being knowledgeable. Because if it's all about knowledgeable, we just get better, clever sinners. See, I can be very knowledgeable, but I can also be a better sinner. It's not just about emotion. Where we become all emotional and we think, although I love emotion and I am emotional, but, and God has spoken to me through my emotions, but it's not always about an emotional high because sometimes those themselves can be a distraction to working and knowing Jesus Christ. What it's about, it's about your life and my life, our characters being transformed by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And we've got to be willing to allow that. Now, when we are transformed by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, there are promises that come when we get our character right. I don't know if you know this. And I haven't got time, but I have got a, I'm working on a devotional discipleship course that deals with character transformation. But some of the promises is that when my character is right before the Lord and my character is growing in fruitfulness, what happens is that I am fruitful in the world that I live in. I am, I'm a blessing in the world. That when we get the right character, suddenly we find that things start to fall into place because our character is right and our life becomes fruitful. And how does it become fruitful? Well, it becomes fruitful because we are portraying the love and the life of Christ around the world. Did you know that as you get your character right with God and deal with those areas where the enemy has a foothold, that actually your prayer life gets energized as well? In fact, it even says in the book of Peter, husbands, that as husbands, your character is right and you're not exasperating your wives, your prayers will be heard. So stop bickering with your wife, men. Uh, you've all gone quiet, haven't you? Uh, yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see it. And I'm, I'm very sheepish as well. And I, was, I read that verse, I thought, yes, okay, my prayer life is energized when I'm living and acting in the correct character. Did you know that if you get your character right, you don't fall away from faith? Have you ever wondered why people fall away from faith? It's often because they've stopped the process of character transformation so Jesus isn't working in their lives. And if you... Stop the process of transformation and Jesus is no longer changing for you. You no longer have a relationship. You have a religion. And who on earth wants a religion? I don't want a religion. Religion is death. Religion kills. But a relationship with God makes all the difference. You don't fall away when you're being transformed in character with God. Right character enables you to do the right ministry. It enables opportunity for ministry. You look at people, you look at the life of Dr. Billy Graham, a character that amplified real, true, humble, powerful belief in life and character and ministry. And, and your character is, is transformed and God places you in the right spot. Number five, when your character is right, this has... the. Spiritual warfare becomes easier because the enemy does not have a foothold to get hold of you because you're keeping a short account with God. And yet when there's areas of your character that are unchecked, the enemy has a foothold and the enemy can step in and the enemy can exploit that area in our lives. That's why it's the blessed breastplate of righteousness because it's not only about being made right in Christ, but being living right in Christ. We reveal Christ. And I'll be talking about that in a few more minutes through our characters. 
We have abundant life that when we have brought our character into check and the transformation of the Holy Spirit, there is abundance, there is joy, there is excitement. We then operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit when we have a right character. Why? Because the gifts of the Spirit, like the word gifts, like the mercy gifts, like the power gifts, when we minister in the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, how do we minister those gifts? We minister those gifts through the soil and the foundation of love. That's why you have the gifts in chapter 12 and the gifts in chapter 14 and you have the chapter on love right in the middle. You won't be judging how awesome you were with your awesome gifts. You'll be judged on your motives and your character. You won't get to heaven and they'll go, oh, you were so amazing, Pastor Phil, at your gift of prophecy to be able to speak boldly in a certain way and declare the word of God, I'll be judged on my motives, I'll be judged on my character, I'll be judged on my walk before men and before God, I'll be judged. So it's important to get the character right. And finally, and this has nothing to do with the sermon, I've just thrown this in for free this morning. Uh, you will receive a reward for the motives and the character that you have. And the word we want to think about in the fruit of the Spirit, anyway, more to come on that subject with a devotional course to help you grow in character. But I want to talk to you about goodness, about the fruit of goodness. Now, there is a danger, and some of us pastors were discussing this, and all the pastors are on holiday. They've all gone. In fact, it's me and Curtis, and that's it, and Percy, the custodian, and he calls himself the senior pastor anyway, um, because he's, um, he's, he's, um, he speaks Spanish, and he says, I am the real senior pastor, uh, not this one, not this English one. Um, but Goodness. I want to talk to you about goodness. And we were talking about this as pastor. After a while, it starts to sound and feel the same. And that's interesting because of the fruit of the Spirit. And that's interesting. It, it really is how you approach it. But yes, there is a danger of that because it's about goodness can feel a lot like kindness. Goodness can feel a lot like, you know, so much of Christian generosity and our lives. But I believe that what we really need to believe for is that in our lives, through acts of goodness, goodness is who we are made in Christ and how we show it in our actions towards other people by simply being good, showing and reflecting the glory of Jesus Christ in love and mercy to people around us. I would say that in the Christian church today, we need a lot more goodness. And I'm going to show you three areas from Paul's writing where he says, but to have that power of goodness. Recently, uh, actually I say recently, it was probably two years ago, uh, a friend of mine gave me a big garbage bag full of seeds. He handed them over and said, I'm moving away. You can have all of these seeds. He said, the problem is, <clears throat> they're, they're, most of them on the... On the um, little packages, said they're out of date. 
So I looked at them, I thought, oh, great. They were nice seeds. They were perennials, flowers. They were daisies, and they were sunflowers, and they were snapdragons. And yet there were so many of them. There must have been well over a thousand little packages of these seeds. So I got them all out. Uh, in the spring, and I, it took me about an hour and a half, even two hours, to organize them together and to break them down. But they were all out of date, and I thought, well, I'll have a go at planting some of them. So I got the seed trays, I got the soil and the miracle grow from, um, uh, you know, from Home Depot, and I filled the little trays, and I put the seeds. I thought, I'm going to fill my garden with flowers for Michelle, because she's always going on that we don't have enough flowers in the garden, honestly. And, I mean, what does she want? And, and so, so we, need a, a, we need more flowers, so I'm going to solve this. So I had 20 seed trays. I had all of these seeds. I got them out. We planted them, and we waited, and we planted them, And I can happily report that come July, they were growing all, we were growing everywhere, and the garden is full of flowers. I say full, I use that, you know, there are flowers. Um, And they look beautiful, (coughs) and they look amazing, and they, the, the project flower worked, even though the seed said out of date. And I wondered to myself, can actually a seed go out of date? And I was thinking about this, and while I was thinking about seeds and my flowers and the smell and the fragrance and the wonderful atmosphere and all the insects and the bees that that are being created, I, I started to read about the world's largest flower, which is six foot high. Now, when I say flower, I mean flower. I don't mean the stem. I mean the flower. It's six foot high. And so I googled it quickly, and I started to read about it. It only blooms every seven years, and when it blooms, the world's largest flower, it only stays open for three days. It's a big, major, botanical event, apparently. People rush all around the world to see the blooming of this flower. But when it blooms... It looks amazing, it looks impressive, it looks gorgeous. But when you get closest, in fact, when I Googled it, it looks like something from a sci-fi movie. It's six foot tall, it looks like the day of the Trifix or something. It's going to eat you up. And, and when you look at it, it's impressive, it's bizarre, it's amazing. But its name in English is called the corpse flower. And why is it called the corpse flower? Because the fragrance it admits is the stench of rotting flesh. Have you heard of this flower? Rotting flesh. And when I think about character and I think about our lives, there is a danger that we've all met people that look awesome. we all met people that appear absolutely fantastic, but when we get close to them and close up and personal, we discover that the fragrance isn't a perfume of blessing, but it's a fragrance of, of rotting flesh. It is, it's a stink. I even know my own life that I have to deal with things, otherwise I stink. Because I can either live by the flesh, I can live by 
the Spirit. I either want to grow the fruit of the Spirit or I want to grow in my own sinfulness. And when we grow in our sinfulness, we may look good to the world, but when you get close up, there is a stench that catches your nostrils because of the attitude, because of the word, because of the approach. And we've all got to be aware that there's a danger that we we want to allow Christ to transfer the stench of our life into the fragrance of not death, but into the fragrance of life. And when you have the fragrance of life, you are blessing, you are bringing goodness, you are showing the work of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is at work in your lives. See, the Bible says that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Our job is to reveal Christ to the world. And one of the ways that we reveal Christ to the world is through goodness. It's through doing acts of goodness. Isn't that the idea that through our words, that through our lives, and one of the criticisms of church is that we're all hypocrites. One of the criticisms of this and that. But the danger is is that we mustn't look good, but we must have the fragrance of Jesus and not the stench of death. We're all in that battle of being sanctified, of being transformed. And it's, we want to shine light into the darkness. Where people are blinded, they start to see the love of Christ because you are a living portrait of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in your life, he paints his image, his picture on you. And the way that you speak, the way that you think, the way that you act, you are that living portrait which God wants to write. In fact, Paul uses the word poetry, that he wants to create poetry within your life. And it's challenging. The question I've had to ask myself is, as I observe, how do I reveal Christ? How do you reveal Christ? What are the ways which Christ is revealed through our lives? Well, the first way, Paul made it clear in the opening verses, verses 7 through to 10, he talks about, I am pressed down. I'm in danger. I have to persevere. He talks about the emotional and the pressures that he carries to be an apostle of Christ. And then he turns and he says these words, we always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. In other words, I am carrying the scars of suffering like Jesus, but you see within me the scars of suffering and trial within me. And as a result, I reveal to you the power of Jesus that even through the darkest and the toughest times of life, I reveal Jesus because of the way that I handle the trials. Isn't that honestly the way that you see the mark of a true Christian about how they deal with a trial? How they deal with a problem? How they deal with a challenge? 
How they deal with suffering. How they deal with sickness. Isn't it a mark of a Christian how they show themselves in the time and reveal Christ through the most challenging disappointing times, but we witness and people look at us and say, well, how could you cope with such grief? How could you cope with such difficulty? How are you processing such trauma? Well, that's because I have a friend with me and that friend is the Lord Jesus Christ and he gives me that power and we reveal Christ by the way that we handle tough times. The second way we reveal Christ in 1 Peter 2.12, is we live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day. I have not known a time recently in social sciences and in kind of policy, local governmental policies and policies where to be a Christian you feel as if you are accused of doing wrong. Just by the very nature of being a Christian. Now, don't let this freak you out. Because this has been the way since the Roman Empire. It's just that we've got used to something completely different. But he says, live good lives amongst the pagans... Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. The more culture becomes constrictive towards Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel, the more the church shares the gospel and the more we proclaim goodness. We say it in words and we live it in deed. Can I say that again? For a church to survive, we do it and speak in, in words and proclaiming the truth of the resurrected Lord and we do, we do it in word and we do it in deed. We do it in word and we do it in deed. People know that we are Christians by our love. People know that we are Christians because of our goodness. People know that we are Christians because that goodness lives within us. But it's painful to live this way. You know, that's why we do the backpack giveaway. That's why we sent tons, it felt like, of peanut peanut butter. That that dreadful North American invention. Uh, I've never understood peanut butter until I got here. And, And the more, honestly, it is, give me Marmite. But... Oh, you know what Marmite is. You either love it or you hate it, and I love it. By the way, if ever you feel you want to bless your pastor, nothing ostentatious. I've never asked for anything from the church in this way, but if you happen to see a Marmite bottle in a store, do buy it, and I'll give you the money. Because, honestly, on the English black market in Kelowna, I can make a fortune. Um, (laughs) Absolute fortune. Absolute but, but seriously, we love Marmite. But we do this so that we can tell the world that Jesus is alive. 
We do this out of our charity, out of our generosity. And, and at the last weekend of August, we want the car park to be full of, of people who are in darkness, but they can see a great light. And they can see a great light by the love that we show to the world. And as you pack the backpacks, you pray over them. And you ask the Lord to work and to move and to minister. And whoever's packed that one, I don't I just grabbed one as I walked through. That's a good one. Um, through our lives. Three verses to talk about the importance of goodness in the local church. Verse number one. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, knowledge is good, and competent to instruct one another. We instruct each other, we teach each other, we grow. But what does he say first? You are full of goodness. It seems to me that Paul, in the last chapter 15, is reminding them that he's very pleased that their church life is full of goodness. And all of us know the horror stories of church life. I mean, we all know the civil war and the bad attitudes and the judgmental hearts. And we all know these stories. What Paul says is, be known for your goodness. Honestly, goodness makes all the difference in church life. I acknowledge you. Then in Ephesians it says, for you were once in darkness, true, but now you are a light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. Okay. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness. In other words, we are a flashlight that shines the goodness of God to the world in the darkness of this world. You see... If we're always judging and we're always moaning and we're always protesting and we're always doing all of this, we're not actually shining goodness into the world. And yet he says, you'll never change the world anyway except by the goodness of God. And for those of you who have read history, you know that the Roman Empire was not changed through, through per certain attitudes or through Facebook, the Roman world was changed through caring for the poor, through rescuing orphans, starting the first hospitals and loving the slaves and preaching a gospel that, that honours women and honours all nations. And the Romans hated the Christians because we just loved everybody of every nature, of every skin, of every country and we rescued babies off dumps because a baby was not a baby, a child didn't have a soul under Roman philosophy until it was two years old but Christians would rescue discarded babies, look after the poor and the needy, why? Because we are children of the light but the mechanism is goodness so he makes the point that we are flashlights in the darkness, showing goodness. And finally, about the prayer life. He says, with this in mind, be constantly, pray for you. He constantly prays for the church at Thessalonica. I need to pray for you. 
I need you to hold on. I need you to keep believing. I need to keep praying for you. I need to keep pushing. You can hear what he's saying, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God, the Lord Jesus. What's he praying for? That every desire for goodness, every desire for goodness. So Romans says, I commend you because of your goodness. Ephesians church, remember these are churches all over the ancient world, so he's keeping consistent with his message, commends us and encourages us that we're children of light, therefore show your goodness. And then finally, he says, I'm praying for you Thessalonians, for goodness. And you know, they were in a battle in Thessalonica, if you uh, know the the teaching and the ancient uh, history. We pray for this. So, who is good? The young rich ruler came to Jesus and says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher. He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. No one is good. That's true. We weren't born good. We have the ability for goodness. But we are corrupted, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need a saviour. And real goodness comes through the work of cross. That when the work of the cross works in our lives, we are regenerated, we are sanctified, we are born again. And as we are born again, and we're giving the spirit of God within our lives, it's nothing to do with my goodness, because my goodness are like filthy rags. I cannot save myself. But it's a great exchange that he has taken my filthy rags and he has dressed me with righteousness because of his goodness. So why only God is good, that's true, but only God through the universal answer of Jesus as a sacrifice for the world, showing the love of God to this world, brings salvation whereby I am now made good in Christ. I'm born again. However, I am made good, but now as a likeness of Jesus, I go into the world and I act good. I, my actions are good. And my likeness of Jesus is rooted in the Godhead of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So I'm rooted in the glory of God, who is good, only God's good, and I am displaying his likeness to the world. Literally, I become love in action. 
Literally, you and I become love in action in the way that we speak, the way we encourage others, the things that we do. We become love in action in our lives. You see, the young rich ruler, Jesus said, you, he said, have you kept the commandments? He says, I've done all of those things. He said, but uh, Jesus said, okay, one thing I, I say to you, go and sell everything. And then come and follow me. In other words, I surrender all. And he went away sad. You see, he was so good religiously, and yet he was so bad and needed salvation. He was so right in all of his views, and yet he was so wrong because he didn't understand what it meant truly to be a follower of Christ. He was so near to Jesus, he was on his knees, and yet he ended up so far away because he wasn't willing to surrender his whole life to Jesus. And I think as we step out into the world with the fruit of goodness, it's coming back is that word and deed... Word and deed. We talk the talk, but we do the actions. We are willing for Christ to come and to fill us with his strength and his power. Very challenging, isn't it? Let's stand together. There is nothing out of date, out of date about sowing the seeds of goodness in the world. There's nothing out of date about the seeds that you've got in your life to give to others, to make a difference. And I know we all feel we're on a roller coaster. I do. You know, we start off, we get back, and we're allowed allowed full church back. The church is absolutely packed. Next few weeks, amazing, packed out. Then we get new orders, everything changes, and now... I mean, to be honest, this is a lot better than we had with groups of 50. I'll be honest. This almost feels like revival. Um, I said to say, what was it like while I was away, you know, with with Bonnie Henry and everything? And I wrote to, uh, well, Ian wrote to her on on my behalf and wrote and said, what are you saying about Kelowna? Can we meet? And she wrote back, answered our email. You can have an act of worship, just as normal, except wear your masks. So not quite normal. Hey, I take what I can get. But I want to do word and deed. Let's pray together. Maybe for a moment, you know that you're a little bit like the corpse flower, because I'm like that. (laughs) That sometimes it's easier to look awesome, but if you get up and close, it's the stench of rotting flesh and flesh in the New Testament is a metaphor for human endeavor human belief and our own trust in ourselves and our own belief our sinfulness I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it 
But Jesus asks us to lay down our flesh and crucify it. And to take up the life of Christ. And the hardest thing to do is to crucify the flesh. The ego. And Lord, I pray that now this morning. You will come to each one of us. And help us to rededicate our lives and live our lives for you, Jesus. Help us, Lord, I pray, to sow the seeds of goodness, to plant the garden that with the fragrance. And the beauty of what seems out of date in the world, but is not out of date in the kingdom of God. Help us in every relationship and every step to portray the goodness of God, I ask in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And like me, if you've never grown flowers, (laughs) maybe get the bag out and start to plant the seeds of your heart and your life. Amen.